Chapter 2 of The Mute Singer by Anna Cora Mawit Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 2 A Toilette Dilemma. After Maitre Bougeot took his abrupt departure, Sylvie made an effort to conquer her lassitude and prepare the frugal repast of her parents. It consisted only of soup, salad, and coarse bread, but the table was neatly spread, and in the center she placed the tin cup with Matayu's humble bouquet. During the meal, Madame de la Roche was silent, absorbed, as usual, in her own gloomy thoughts. Sylvie was too much exhausted to converse, but her buoyant-spirited father discoursed at length upon the various methods by which, if the fates only smiled, he might rapidly make a fortune, and resume his former position in society. Year after year he had clearly demonstrated how this desirable object might be obtained, but the great will which was suddenly expected to turn and send him upward with a bound never seemed to move and his airy castles invariably exploded and left him for a season prostrate and disheartened his wife who had lost all faith in his intangible schemes only sighed and shook her head as she slowly sipped her soup but sylvie's filial respect caused her to listen with that attention which great talkers look upon as the most gratifying response the next day Maitre Bougeot did not appear at his accustomed hour, and Sylvie, whom he would not have found slumbering again, looked for him with growing disquietude. Her mother had several times declared during dinner that she was inwardly troubled by strange and undefined misgiving, premonitions that evidently pointed at Maitre Bougeot. De La Roche was unusually taciturn, and Sylvie found it difficult to preserve her wonted cheerfulness. The meal was over. She had risen to clear the table when, without a knock of warning being given, the door flew open, and Maitre Bourgeot burst into the room. Maitre Bourgeot, the amazed trio, could scarcely believe that it was really the grave music-master. He capered about, with his violin under his arm, flung up his cap, and caught it, sang a jovial refrain, and made such mad demonstrations of hilarity that no wonder Madame de la Roche shrank away in terror. Her husband, too, looked as though he were meditating the best means of capturing the lunatic, but Sylvie sprang towards him with outstretched hands. "'Oh, my master, what ails you? What is the matter?' He caught her in his arms, hugging her and the violin in the same embrace. He kissed her forehead and cheeks almost frantically, and in a voice half laughter, half tears, shouted, What is the matter, the matter? Child, it has come! It has come at last, at last! What has come, dear Maitre Bougeot? In answer, he folded her anew to his breast the violin still sharing the caress, and pressed against her slight frame rather more roughly than was agreeable. Your trust was not in vain. The good God has rewarded your faith in his own good time. What then has happened? 
The chance for you to be heard has arrived. The opportunity for me to present a pupil before competent judges has come. Judges who know what music means. None of your newfangled pretenders, but true judges. Sylvie could not utter a single word. Her hands were clasped, her eyes upraised with an expression of fervent gratitude. The next moment she burst into tears and hid her face upon the old man's shoulder. Maitre Bougeot, my dear friend, it's just what I expected, exclaimed Delaroche, with an odd kind of dignity and repressing all surprise. His demeanor conveyed the impression that he was only receiving his deserts and could not be elated by an event which he had the right to anticipate. Let me assure you, my dear sir, that this was what I always looked for, and now all will be as it should be. We shall be obliged to hire decent apartments at once and get a few comforts around us, and I don't doubt that Christmas will find me driving that noble pair of greys which I have so long desired to possess. I have a strong partiality for greys. I shall not consent to buy horses of any other color, but I don't doubt that we shall easily find a pair to suit. Maitre Bougeot's unwanted tenderness vanished. You don't doubt, do you? Then let me tell you, sir, I do doubt. The card houses you are such an adept in building shall tumble down as fast as they went up, and the greys will run away with your reason before you ever hold the reins. That's your luck, you know, so your wife says, and she has secret information from the abode of the blue devils. Saying this, he pushed Sylvie rudely away from them. What are you playing the fool for? What are you crying about, making yourself look uglier than ever's? It's a great misfortune you have no beauty to part with. The musician turned again to Delaroche and asked tauntingly, What if I have obtained a hearing for her? Who says she'll succeed? Ah, who indeed? responded Madame de la Roche woefully. It's not to be expected. Certainly not, Madame. You're quite right. Your unlucky stars will occupy themselves in taking care to prevent success, returned Bougeot ironically. Therefore, it's not a matter for such very great rejoicing, though I this very evening obtained permission for her to sing a charitable concert to be given at the residence of Count Castellane. Is it possible? exclaimed Sylvie. My dear master, how did you accomplish anything so wonderful? It was no doing of mine. It accomplished itself. It was chance that it turned up. Sylvie shook her head. A chance? No, it was stuff. I've heard all that before. You don't believe in chance, but chance it was, and a chance of which I've had the wit to take advantage. The Princess Clementine has promised to honor the Count by her presence, accompanied by several members of the royal family. The Princess had signified her desire to hear La Blanche, the great basso, in the celebrated duet from La Semiramide, which you and I have often sung together. Mademoiselle Belchasse, who was to sing the female part, has taken ill. A couple of hours ago, I encountered Monsieur Legrand, 
who was in charge of the concert. He usually gives me the cold shoulder, having nothing to gain from such a poor devil as I. But today he was in great distress. He had not succeeded in finding a contralto voice sufficiently reliable to supply Mademoiselle's place, and it seemed probable that the duet would have to be omitted. The princess had only consented to be present to hear La Blanche in this piece. To withdraw it would be highly prejudicial to the success of the concert. Lagrange consented to ask my advice. I told him that one of my pupils possessed a magnificent contralto voice and sang the Similamide brilliantly. And you'll prove my words, else I'll wash my hands of you. Lagrange knew he could trust me. He may sneer at my worn-out coat. He may despise my poverty, but not my musical knowledge. So the matter's all settled. Settled. Do you hear that? Settled. Maitre Bougeot seemed inclined to resume his joyful capering. When the voice of Sylvie's father once more revived his habitual churlishness, Settled, settled, he repeated rapturously. Then it's all right, just as I thought. We are quite safe. I say you're not safe, almost shrieked Bougeot more savagely than ever. Who knows that she won't be frightened out of her wits before all those grand people and lose her voice? And there's little enough time for preparation. I've half a mind to make you sit up all night and practice the duet. When will the concert take place? asked Sylvie. When? The day after tomorrow, to be sure. Only two days for preparation. Two days, cried Ms. Madame de la Roche dolefully. Oh, it's impossible. How shall we get her ready? How shall we make a dress for her to wear? And how shall we ever buy her a dress, to say nothing of shoes and stockings and gloves and a sash and a handsome handkerchief? Don't talk to me of dresses, woman, replied Bougeot. What has a dress to do with her voice? These women are such torments. It's always to some stupid trivialities they attach importance. It doesn't matter what she wears. Let her be clothed decently. That's enough. That's just the trouble. How are we to manage to clothe her decently? Besides the dress she has on, she only has one other, her best. And that's a shabby mousseline de laine faded and donned and three years old you know nothing about these affairs monsieur Bougeot. but i her mother say you could not take her among ladies and gentlemen a mousseline de laine dress three years old and very much worse for wear no i fear not my master sylvie responded here's a tempest in a teapot Here's an insurmountable barrier to what I have been working to accomplish these three years and all raised by a woman's gown. Instead of rejoicing at this unexpected good fortune, instead of being out of your senses with delight at the honor of singing with La Blanche and before some of the royal family, you make a mountain of difficulties out of a dress. The style of her costume, I suppose, won't alter the quality of her voice? No, of course it won't, said de la Roche. 
but you know the gentle sex are prone to dwell a little too much upon the outside show they must be pardoned my dear sir for this very natural weakness sylvie will do you credit and herself credit and us credit and redeem our fortunes no matter what dress she has on people won't look at her old mousseline de laine nor her sallow little face when they hear her voice a new dress is quite out of the question we have not a sou left to buy one we cannot get it on credit and there's nobody we can borrow from so that settles the question of the dress sylvie will make a hit and she will soon have dresses in abundance we will robe her like a queen and i rather think her mother's wardrobe and mine will require considerable replenishing i should not like to say how long i've worn this coat as the father complacently uttered these words bougeot walked up to him almost threateningly sir i'll not say what i consider you you know less even than your wife and daughter you talk unmitigated nonsense your daughter will not be introduced to the public by me unless she is properly attired and since you cannot provide her with a dress and shoes and stockings and gloves and a sash and a handsome handkerchief broke in the mother and shoes and stockings and glove and a sash and a handsome handkerchief scornfully echoed maitre bougeot and since all these absurdities are needful to a woman's toilette down tumbles your card house as i said it would for she will not sing at count constellane's concert just our luck cried the mother the most glorious opportunity in the world offers and we lose it for want of a few ludols to buy a dress who says you will lose it thundered maitre bougeot why she cannot go without a dress returned the mother with a faint flash of spirit and we cannot purchase one where are we to pick up the sixty or seventy francs which it would cost to procure a suitable toilette. I do not think we could even get the dress made in time if it were lying here at the moment. And we could not pay for anyone to make it, so it's all over. And Madame de la Roche folded her hands with a resigned, give-up sort of expression and drew a deep sigh since the dress seems to be an insuperable obstacle and an absolute necessity perhaps you could help us suggested de la roche to the music teacher nothing daunted for it was not easy to dash his hopes i no sir no i have not the means not that i would throw the money away in buying girls dresses if i had i expended my last louis d'or the other day in paying my poor mother's confounded doctor i have not a franc left no not a sou sylvie who had been standing musing now laid her hand gently on his arm and said my dear master what is to be done we must make an effort this opportunity must not be lost a plain kind of dress of some sort must be procured and must be made and in time 
I do not see the way, but I do see that it must be done, and that we do not have a moment to lose. She monopolizes the sense of this family, as well as the talent, ejaculated the master. You are right, Sylvie. It must be done. But how it is to be done, I cannot divine any more than you yourself. The articles they say you need cannot be purchased without gold, any more than your dress can be made without heads. If I had the money, you should have it. But I tell you, I have not got it, and I cannot borrow it, so my good intentions will not help you. But, Maitre Bougeot, began the father, I've no time to listen to any of your sublime projects, sir. I dare say you'll fabricate her address out of your fine words and make it up by the aid of the same airy materials. She's not likely to have the honor of seeing with La Blanche if you do not, so I leave you to make the experiment. In spite of a detaining ejaculation from Sylvie, he bolted out of the room. Sylvie and her parents, or rather Sylvie and her father, sat down to discuss possibilities and feasibilities. And after he had raised her hopes many times and tantalized her by all sorts of plans, which her mother systematically tore to pieces, proving the fragility of each scheme, Sylvie withdrew to her own little chamber, if we may so call the nook partitioned off by the old curtain. There she knelt out to pray, that if it were well, that way might be shown to her by which this apparent good, so unexpectedly presented, could be rendered available. And though no method suggested itself to her mind, she rose up, comforted by the certain conviction that the desired means would be revealed if it were best. And if not revealed, it would be because the step which promised so largely would, if taken, prove a false one. End of chapter 2